Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's asleep. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And I'm really thrilled about this particular episode. If you got to come to the live taping, then you are just here to relive the magic. You will not be disappointed. And if you didn't get to go to March's live taping, well, you won't be disappointed either, although it may entice you to come to our two final live tapings for this season at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, Friday, April 28th, 7 p.m., or Thursday, May 24th, also at 7 p.m. Come, 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 Employee of the Month at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, my guest today is Zadie Smith. Uh, you probably know her, or I would say she's best known for her novels. She was uh, just six when she started writing. Actually, I think she was probably younger when she started writing. Uh, she has been a gifted writer her entire life, and we spoke about her early roots where she knew she was a gifted writer and also had the, I don't want to say stridency or ambition, um, but she did not let anyone get in her way of success. We we talked about her first contest winnings, I really want to encourage you to also check out her essays. She sometimes poo-poos them in interviews, uh, but I found her reflections, particularly around the election, to be illuminating. Uh, You can check out her piece on Brexit. And in general, I I don't know what to tell you, but I, I loved, loved, loved on beauty. And I also really loved White Teeth. I know. Get in line. Those are just two of her many novels. She's had five. But I Also want to just recommend that you check out Swing Time. That was her latest, and it was a lot of fun. And it was a new window for me into dance, something that I did as a a kid. The essays I was going to recommend are Fences, A Brexit Diary, and On Optimism and Despair. I thought both of them were excellent. And Zadie, who writes for The New Yorker and The New York Review of Books, is a profound writer that Again, she's not going to say you should know me for my essays. You should know me for my creative writing. But I'm allowed to say whatever I want. I like her for both. The other thing that's kind of amazing, in addition to being a glamorous woman who probably would have been successful at whatever she does, uh, she also is an unbelievable singer. And I had – I don't know if you saw Annie Hall, but if you did, this is – I saw it and fell in love before I found out everything. What can I tell you? But there's (laughs) – There's a scene where Diane Keaton is auditioning in a restaurant and plates are flying and it's just miserable. And you see how miserable the life of being a cabaret singer or a stand-up comedian in my case, which is how I got my roots and how Zadie's um, two of her brothers, one's a rapper, one's a comedian. Actually, they're both rappers and one has a children's book. They've written for television. They even have a TV show, although Zadie is not a character in it, even though it's based on her family. Larger point, going back to Diane Keaton, it is a struggle and it is very hard and humiliating to be a singer and to make a living at it. Uh, The same goes for comedy. And the same can go for writing as well, although you get to at least be in the privacy of your own home when you're having those moments of despair. 
Zadie did not have any of those moments, at least not on stage. It was a delight to have her, and she sang with the lovely, talented Lady Rizzo, who you can see right now. I'm going to go see at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. Go to LadyRizzo.com to check out her work. Um, You can go to your nearest local bookstore to check out any of Zadie Smith's um, or subscribe to the New York Review of Books and The New Yorker. Okay, enough plugging, enough promotion. We get it. We know how to use the internet. Here's my interview with the one and only Zadie Smith. Zadie, I'm going to pull out some of your books for people who don't read. Don't read. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Or aren't literate. Yeah. For any bankers, NW. <laughs> this is a good book for bankers. On Beauty. Perilous. Okay. Do you like these? Have you seen these before? No, I, I'm familiar. White yeah. Teeth. Yeah. Wrote at 19. No biggie. Autograph Man, and her latest one, Swing Time, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, these are just some of your books. How are you? I'm, uh, as we've discussed earlier, quite intensely hungover, but I'm, I'm still here. Okay, good. Working with it. <laughs> you too can feel like me tomorrow. Just keep going. Yeah. You've been up for many awards, and you have spoken about how important craft is, and as someone right. myself who doesn't make any money, I know how important it is to focus on the craft and <laughs> be very zen about the process uh-huh. and enjoy it. Were you always zen? Or I guess a, a better way to ask that question is, um, are you ever going to uh, admit what happened when you were nine years old uh, in one of your first writing competitions? Uh, I, uh, first of all, yeah, uh, did I, who told you that? Do you, um, so, <laughs> so uh, I, when I was nine, um, I actually just lost a literary prize tonight, oh, as know. you know, like know. 25 minutes ago. I'm sorry. But when I was nine, but I won one. You're winning instead. the Employee of the Month award. Right, which is more important. Um, tonight. Uh, I, thank you. <laughs> she was also up for a literary prize tonight. I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. She was also yeah. nominated for a very good reason, because yeah. the book um, is phenomenal. Uh, so I... It's a, it's a double sinning story because it involves b- both plagiarism and lying, which is unusual <laughs> for a nine-year-old. But I, I, I wrote with a friend of mine a book about dancing skeletons who live in a neighborhood, which is, was frankly stolen from Alan Ahlberg, a brilliant British children's book writer, and we submitted it to a, a kind of contest. Um, Michael Rosen, who was the children's poet laureate, was the judge. And then I got a letter saying we had won in our category eight to ten, and then I didn't tell my friend, Polly, (laughs) didn't tell her, went alone with my family, and took that prize. (laughs) Ruthless. Yeah. So, I'm not proud of it. It was a long time ago. (laughs) But there you go. Yeah, that happened. Story before friends. Yeah, we're still friends. She's a great girl. She's very patient. What is she doing now? Is she a baker? Um... (laughs) She is the long-term personal assistant of an actor called Trevor Eve. Very interesting. Yes. Interesting she's a, she's that you're nice now a writer girl. and she's um, doing administrative work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, stop. All right, go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so growing up, I, um, I wasn't, like, big into pop culture, but I, did, I was very obsessed with The Who, and mm. would you... Um, How old are you? It's a strange generational... Your age. age. Yeah, Yeah. that's not right. But Um, carry on. I had an older brother. So I broke up with my real-life boyfriend. Yes. um, 
and because I was so in love with Roger Daltrey, the lead singer, that I felt it was unethical to okay. like two people at the same time. Um, and I just want to know if you had any experiences like that or another question to ask you is, what role did Keanu um, play in your childhood? Keanu was very years? important to me. I'm not going to pretend he wasn't. But uh, I wrote the first novel I ever wrote when I was 15. The, was, the main character was called Keanu. So he had a, a strong imprint. Um, and then the other person perhaps was Prince. I was very um, involved with Prince. In my mind, he wasn't fully <laughs> complicit in it. He wasn't fully committed. No, but I, I was very engaged with him and I went to see him a bunch of times and um, it, it was a deep thing for a while. Yeah. Um, I read in an, in an article, so I didn't know if this was true, because I imagine you're quite ambitious if you were writing a novel at, at 15 and uh, winning literary prizes and, um, you know, uh, pushing friends aside. Um, um, <laughs> but I read... Um, that you were actually a, a stoner in high school? Is I was a huge stoner, yeah. An ambitious stoner. That sounds well, my like... whole family were, you know, in, involved in the smoking of weed. So I, I, I at least <laughs> gave it up sooner than most people in the clan. And, but there were moments like... I, actually, that's not fair. My youngest brother never smoked weed. He's a health freak. But my middle brother um, was part an inspiration for this book. Cause in, in Swing Time, there's a thing about... Uh, people who believe that inside people there are lizards, which is a kind of weird yes. conspiracy theory in England. And I remember being, I guess, 16 and a half and going to my brother saying, come, come into my room, come into my room. He's 15. I was like, what? He said, there are lizards inside Princess Diana. And so I was like, dude, <laughs> that, it is time to stop smoking the weed in this house. It has a bad effect on teenage brains. And he basically did stop. He's fine now. He's a very rational person, but that's... How familiar, you know, weed was in the house, generally. It is incredible how, just because it, I, I don't know your, your family, um, but it, your brothers and you are all three extraordinarily successful, but in show business, and it doesn't seem like you guys came from that. Um, no, we, we, we weren't uh, from show people, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, was, I was into it, you know, musicals and comedy a lot and then because my brother was only slightly younger than me I forced him to participate in a lot of things that I'm sure as a straight man he wasn't that into at the yeah. time but we did full-on recreations of songs for musicals and dances and comedy routines sometimes and then I kind of went to books more and that became my preoccupation but my brothers really continued with music in different areas so my middle brother is a kind of comedian and, and also a rapper and a now an actor, rapper, comedian. That's what he does. And Luke is also a rapper. And yeah, so uh, it's it's funny that way. Yeah. Here's a picture up. picture of. Oh yeah, they look them. cute there. They're a little older now, I have to say. That was a, <laughs> that was when they were a kid. That was a few years ago. That was but, growing uh, up. Yeah, they look good. Yeah. But and which That's one some works? free clothes they get. They get free clothes for rapping around. You know that rappers get free clothes. Yeah. I don't get free clothes, but you know that? Yeah, you get some? Yeah. Yeah, that's some free shit they got. They get the trips to South Africa. Spenders rap bot right yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, do you get thrown a lot of gifts and stuff like that? I do not get, I, no, I don't. The right, right, free clothes for writers is not a big thing. <laughs> no one's like, can I dress you for the NBCC? No one's, that's not a thing. Um, but my brother is kept in sneakers. Yeah, he's good. Um, but, but you do get um, given a lot of things and asked to do a lot of, of, of things. Um, 
Yeah, people, I mean, when you're in signing queues, sometimes people give you, you know, press things on you or strange gifts or that kind of thing. Or ask to be on, you know, reality TV shows. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, in England, I think everybody in the end is asked to be on a reality TV show. That's just the, that's the attitude in England. So uh, I remember when I published White Teeth, really soon after, like, like, maybe six months after, I got an email saying, do you want to be on Big Brother? I was like, could you wait until, like, I've put, and it, it's over, and I'm, you know, I'm a failure, and I walk through the streets, and could you give it a minute? I'm like 24 years old. Yeah. I don't want to be on Big Brother. I it's think... Like an, it's cruel. I do think it's interesting, because reality shows all started with you all. Yeah, and, no, we are the, yeah. we are the incubator of shit culture. We, yeah. we make it, we create it, we spread it out throughout the world, and then have the... Front to say, all these Americans watching TV all day. Yes. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's all us. Now that you've written also for TV and and um, your husband's written for for film, and you you've met with lit age. It's funny to me that they're called lit agents in both TV and in right. literary. What what is the difference when you do these meetings in Hollywood versus in um, publishing? Um, well, I I mean I I've, we tried to write films together, and um, the film that is getting made is the one that I got kicked off of and he stayed on. So my experience is that I don't really understand what film is about. Like, things like plot. <laughs> that is not something that I'm good at or that engages me. So I'll be like noodling along saying, atmosphere and atmosphere and Nick will say, something should happen here and here and here and here. Um, and so I, I have to learn more about that. Novels you can get away with a certain amount of um, plotlessness, I have found. This is, <laughs> this is just a logistical question. Do you outline? Uh, novels? Yeah. No, no, I... What do you outline? Grocery lists? I... <laughs> what did you think I was asking? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I, I mean, I have a vague sense of, like, up to the halfway point, and then I... You probably sense this from reading my novels. I kind of um, freewheel it a little bit from about page 150. <laughs> yeah. Um... I, I'm going to read this quote before I, before I ask this question. Um, in the New York Times in 2000, um, you were quoted as saying, now I've made enough money and I don't need any more. I never said that. New York, paper of record, although we know it, from Trump it may be fake news. But um, I was going to find out where it went and if I could have everything from 2001 on. Um. That is a young person having no idea how little money would finally be in publishing uh, eight years later. Um, I can't... I, I, I do feel like I'm not... I don't think many writers are motivated purely by money, really. It, it's hard to write into a, into a void and for no one. Um, but when you see a writer in, really deep in a novel, and I think of my friends writing novels, they would carry on no matter what. You know, it's obsessive yeah. at a certain point. Um, I do. So... Yeah, I, I don't feel that I'm... I don't know why I said such an arsehole thing. I was a kid, but... Uh, <laughs> you, were, you were a kid, and but, I'm not um, alone in that. Yeah, I was probably being asked about money a lot. I never knew how to talk about it. Well, that is this odd thing of being thrust into the spotlight at such a young age. Right. And um, I thought, in watching these old tapes of you, I thought you handled it so deftly and so beautifully um, to be so young. I'm going to read a quote um, from Mich Michiko Kakutani. My um, favorite person. Um, who has referred to you as preternaturally gifted, and your talents prove commensurate with her ambition. Her, her talents prove commensurate with her ambitions. Um, 
critics? Do you do you decide to be zen and not read the negative or the positive? Do you read like how do you approach? No, I, I I'm I write criticism myself, so uh, you do get soft as you get older. Like I I totally recognize that young critics feeling of wanting to destroy the book in front of you, you know, not just badly review it, but tear it into a little stress and stumble. I used to have that feeling. Um, when you write enough books, you've, you've, your feeling for what it takes to write a book changes. I don't think that that means those young critics should stop. I think it's important, that kind of uh, vigor and determination. But I can't write reviews like that, and, and I find it hard to read them now. I used to read them everything all the time with the kind of self-harm, like fascination yes. in them. Um, but now uh, I, I would try and avoid them, but in the end, I'll, I'll always read them, I think. So if you, you want to write something really nasty about me, eventually I will read it. Like Maybe not this year, next, but in the end, I'll find it and cry. Samuel Jackson <laughs> goes after his uh, um, critics. Like if they're bloggers and things like that, he'll go after well, them. I don't have that feeling. My usual instinct is, oh, you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't feel defensive. Yeah. Like, I don't feel yeah. like, oh, you got it wrong. It's the opposite is the problem. I think, oh, yeah, you're right. Then you just want to go to bed for a week. Right. Oh, right. It's, it's not that I'm fighting them. I, I feel the criticism myself. I usually made it towards myself first. Yes. Yeah. And h- how has that um, changed as you've gotten older? Have you been better? I'm, I'm asking um, for a friend. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the kind of self-hatred, the nausea, the anxiety when you write, it, it's not easy for that to go away. But I did notice at, at 40 that, like, if someone gives me a piece of journalism I used to not be able to say yes because I just couldn't be sure if I'd be able to get over that feeling in yeah. the time scale you know so I'd say I'll do it if you give me six months or I'll get ridiculous timelines now I feel a bit more confident if you give me a piece of work I will complete it I can do it like it's not it's not as much anxiety as it used to be good that's changed yeah I wonder if it's, it changes from like the chutzpah or I don't know what else to call it to to genuine self-assuredness yeah, it's something different from Hutzpah. Like when I read or look at the stuff I wrote when I was young, it's it's all just energy and you know, toughing it out. Or but as you get older, you think. I'm sorry. Explain that again. Like it's uh, like a kind of fake energy. I don't know. Like you don't know all the mistakes you're making, all the ways you're being embarrassing, all the silly things you're writing. Now I have a kind of firmer idea, and I I just want to write clearly, you know, with a certain clarity and to say what I mean. That's what I'm not trying to yeah. put on a show. Okay. Though I am on a stage in Joe's pub. But you know what I mean. No, but I, yeah. I meant actually more that, because um, I, I imagine, you know, you were 19 and you were at Cambridge, and it, it's extraordinary um, to someone who went to a, a decent school, but not um, Cambridge, um, you know, to have a real editor actually be looking at one of your literary publications and right. say, hey, you, you should publish this. Um, I don't know, you know, most universities um, on either side of the pond um, don't necessarily have real legitimate editors actually looking at their work and saying, hey, I really think there's something here and we'd like to pay you for it. It was counted. It's hard to explain in America. It doesn't seem like it makes sense. But within the college, in my college, the idea that I was going to become a novelist was not something that my professors had any interest in. It was just something, you know, when I had to admit on just after I finished my exams, I had some interest from an editor. I told my professors, we walked around the quad late at night, and he, w- he just was so disappointed in me. So that was the main feeling I had. That I w- instead of wow. becoming a proper academic and a serious person, I was going to write this trashy novel. That's kind of what three years in that place did to you. So I always had a little bit of a conflicted feeling about it. And then after getting turned down, I think, from a lot of journalism jobs, did you, when you got this first 
Well, my journalism job, as my husband will remember, I sent out a CV in which every letter was a different primary color. So I'd done on my star right. This was how, like, this is how I thought you got a job. So I was turned down from every magazine in London, and then I started teaching rich kids their exams. You know, the kind of kids who failed the first time around. Yes. I would, I would give them a little help. Yeah. I, I used to do that to supplement working in foster care, actually. And I remember this kid would always like make fun of my wallet, and he'd be like, "Miss Lazarus, Miss Lazarus, the cotton, cotton." And I was like, "Yeah, it was so mean." Yeah. <laughs> I should have been like, and your mom is stuffing it, so just leave it. Well, these were, um, the, the weird thing about... My it, wallet. Can, <laughs> She's stuffing my wallet. It's an English thing, but these were like... <laughs> uh, these were rich, posh kids, you know. Yeah. So they had fucked up because they couldn't be bothered or they had a drug problem or whatever was going on. But their parents then paid a lot of money for them to have, you know, concentrated work for a few weeks and try and get through these exams again. So it was, it was also an interesting lesson in the way England works, you know, like yeah. where I came from, you failed your exams, that was the end of it. Then there was this other world where you could just keep on <laughs> retaking them infinitely um, until you got the grade you needed. So I participated in that lovely situation. Now that you're teaching um, yes. some uh, other wealthy kids at NYU, or yeah, I should just say I know, I'm doing teaching God's at work. NYU, um, has that been your experience? Is it similar to the tutoring job? Um, no, no. I, I teach like a group of 12 kids, and we were reading these incredible novels, 20th century novels. Um, and so even when I, you know, everyone who teaches writing is sometimes a bit heavy-hearted when they enter their classroom, I think that's fair to say. But I have the advantage of teaching these novels. Like, I'm going to work, I'm going to teach Kafka, or I'm going to go to work and teach Graham Greene, or whoever it is. So this, the content is so good, and the discussion of, like, 12 young people sometimes reading these books for the first time. More and more often, I can go into a classroom after 12 years of it and say, anyone read Nabokov? And everyone says no. So on the one hand, it's wow. like, oh, poor America. But on the other hand, it's my great opportunity that these kids will always remember me because I, I gave them Nabokov. Like, I, it's such a thrill to be able to do that. Um, that's really beautiful. I wanted to um, ask... As, an, as a writer, so as a comedian, like I worshipped Woody Allen and Bill Cosby as a kid, and yeah, it is too. a hard thing to... To, um... I know, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. So, d d do you have that in the literary world? <laughs> um, uh, there are such figures. I actually feel the same because I, I love comedy and, and um, I love both those people. Um, I, I am actually a fan of writers. I've hardly ever been disappointed by the writers I love when I've met them. Okay. I mean, the, the main feeling is that when, you're, when you meet a writer, it's something I had never realized as a kid and, and it's been the kind of realization of my adult life, is that they are like their books. I don't mean that the books are autobiographical or, but the atmosphere that comes off the person is like the atmosphere that comes yeah. off the book. So if I like the book, it's almost always a, a good bet, you know? I like writers generally. Some writers hate writers. I, to me, they're kind of people I want to be around. I've always liked them. And how did you hook up with Steve Coogan, Alan Partridge, one of my, my favorites, because um, he is going to adapt Swing Time. Right. Um, I'm, it's a huge Coogan fan. Me and my brother, uh, Alan Partridge fan, um, this is the kind of person we would recreate the sketches and all the rest of it. Um, I don't know how he came to be interested in Swing Time. He has an incredible production company, um, but I'm completely thrilled. Like To me, that kind of comedy brain is... The, 
the best kind of creative brain. Like, they, they do what we do, but they also have this lightness and something that I really value. I'm so glad it's him. I think he's, he's brilliant. Um, I did bring it up also partly because I remember reading this great article in, in The New Yorker in 2002. He was right. caught having an uh, orgy. Um, oh, yeah, and the Coke and, and the um, strip. And saying Alan Partridge, didn't he? <laughs> it was actually Supposedly, Steve Coogan, yeah. yeah. Didn't he say, what is Partridge's I, I wrote it down. Anyone? Um, I could say it. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, apparently during oh, yeah. Uh-huh. this, knowing this me, knowing cocaine-filled you? sex scandal, he said aha. Uh-huh. But I don't, I don't know if <laughs> I believe the, that part. The but, quote yeah. in The New Yorker, and I, I, this is why I typed out all these pages, because I love this so much, was, I was appalled and shocked to find out there were lap dancers. I was under the impression that there were Latvian refugees who needed shelter for the night. <laughs> <laughs> and what I liked about that was that he was like, don't put me on a pedestal. I'm not yeah. going to pretend to be someone who I'm not. This is He's who I always am. been really incredible in the press and in English life completely. He, there's nothing to hide. He recognizes exactly the kind of person he is, and he's always been really interesting about it, open. Yeah. Um, and so you were also a cabaret singer. You worked in old age homes? Yeah, it's gla- glamorous. Uh, job i used to do it's the only work i could get you know sometimes i'd be in a cafe in the library or you know something my mother managed to organize or occasionally hotel bars um but uh, regular singing was in old people's homes um and i did kind of impersonations you know of of singers so i do a sinatra i do a billy holiday and but at the same time um because i'd had an a situation with my hair kind of afro teenage hair disaster my mother to resolve it had just sh- shaved all my hair completely so i was like quite a big black girl with a shaved head doing sinatra impressions in old people's homes <laughs> it was a very odd scenario you could see their faces they were confused um well i was gonna see if, if you might do some cabaret singing here just in case just in case oh, seems like a good idea could we have, um, how do you guys feel about that? Now you guys are awake. We got him awake, Sadie. I think we should get a high five for that. We got you guys awake and up. I'm so excited. Um, can, we, can we get you to sing? Would that be okay? Uh, can I have some help? I think um, Lady Rizzo, who's going to be on the show, she's been on the show um, four times, which has been such a, a wonderful Ooh. thing. Um, uh, maybe she and you could sing? It could happen. Yeah, hold on. How does that sound? Yes. Um, all right, well, so for those of you guys who are regulars, you guys know I have a, a dog, Lady Lazarus. And um, she couldn't be here tonight because she's working on her novel. Um, she already has for an agent. Lots of money. She's written nine of them. Um, and um, I was so glad that when you suggested that you thought you want, might want to sing Lady and the Tramp. Just for her. Just for her. It's all for her. Okay, good. All right, so Lady Rizzo, can we welcome you out? Come on out and come join. Oh, girl. Well, look at that. Lady and Zadie. If we got married, you'd be Zadie Rizzo. (laughs) (laughs) Because you'd take my name. Yeah, stick it in. How you feeling? Hangover? Um, yeah, no. It's almost gone? Mucusy. Mucusy. All right, that is never this. a good description of how you're feeling right. on a first date. Okay. You got it. Oh. I get too hungry Woo. for dinner at eight. You are so hungry. I like the theater. Yes. But never 
with people I know I hate. Forget those bitches. That's why this lady is a tramp. Oh, yes, you are. I don't like crap games with barons and earls. Wrong type of people. I won't go up to Harlem dressed in ermine and pearls. It's not appropriate. <laughs> I won't disadder with the rest of the girls. That's why this lady is a tramp. She likes the free, free fresh, fresh wind, wind in, in her hair. My life without care. Oh, you're so I'm broke. That's okay. Hate California. Is there shallow, right? It's so cold oh. and so dead. Okay, another reason. That's your book story about <laughs> Contaminated as well. <laughs> I read the swing time. I read every line. That's why this bitch is a slut. <laughs> I like the prize fight. Yeah. That isn't a fake. Oh, I hate fakes. I really like the rowing. But I stay wide awake. That's polite of you. Polite of you. That's why this lady is a tramp. You are. I like the green, green grass on the feet of shoes. What can I lose? I'm so broke. That was weird. You are fantastic. Thank you, Thank you for letting me sad childhood fantasy. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, I wanted to give you a, a few gifts before you go, and I, with, the, with the hope that you can come back, because I have so many more questions. I feel like we didn't get to go to, go to so many. It's been a joy. You will come back? I, anytime. Okay, good. All right, now I can, now I can finally give them. Um, I like to give gifts from people who've been on the show as well. I don't know if you have poems from Sarah no. Kay, No Matter the Wreckage. Thank you. Um, who I highly recommend. She's a beautiful poet. 
Um, Great, thank you. And I know that you've been with um, your husband since you guys, you guys were high school or uh, college, some yeah, college mates. Um, and um, so I wanted to give you mating in captivity because <laughs> I know you live in captivity. Right. Yeah. Our um, children are the people holding us in. Yeah, they're looking. They're us the there. ones struggling it. And yeah. the author, Esther Perel, who has um, been on the show, and you can check her out on our podcast, is right here. Thank you. Um, thank you. And I wanted to just get some gifts for the kids who got, they don't get awards, so got no. some things from FCTRY, some gnome crayons and some A gel. A gnome crayon? It, could, it can't get better. Thank and, you. Um, well, because you, you know, even though you I don't just, live in Brooklyn, you still I, have a precious think, life. It's not like everyone knows what a gnome crayon is. Gnome crayon. And Wait, is that a thing in Brooklyn? Gnome crayons? Yes, everyone has one. At least one. Oh, yeah. In fact, they, 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 um, they breed their own. Yeah. They, they breed gnomes. It's very popular. And some writer's salve from the Park Slope Co-op. Um, what does it salve? It's not clear. So it's not clear. <laughs> um, as well as a Park Slope Co-op food bag Thank everyone you. gets to go home with because I want you guys to all feel very legitimate. And Russ and Daughters has um, generously, generously shared some beautiful food for you. Um, from my people to yours. Sadie Smith, thank you. your books are so wonderful, and you are such a gift as a human being. So thank, thank you for you being in all, in all of our you lives. So much. That's it for this episode. Wasn't that so much fun? Yeah. Lady and the Tramp, what you didn't see, because you're listening, is uh, there is a picture behind Lady Rizzo and Sadie Smith of my dog, Lady, and I um, slurping pasta like the Disney movie, Lady and the Tramp. I agree. It's kind of funny. You know what I'll do? I'll put it online. You can also see it on my Instagram if you go to Employee of the Month show, and you can check it out there. Um, that's enough checking out. I think right now you just need to check back into life with a little more joy in your step after listening to Zadie and Lady Rizzo sing. Thanks for tuning into Employee of the Month. Thank you to Rob Schulte. Thank you to Acast, and thanks to all of you for listening. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>